Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. John 6, 16 to 24. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake, realised that only one boat had been there and Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they'd gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realised that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Well, we've been in a series of church in John's Gospel. Century biography, we've called it Amazing Love, um, and it is week 12. And every now and again as a church, we like to do something called a tag preach. It's where two people in the life of our church who very much involved different aspects of church life and ministry, um, we invite them to preach because it's pretty boring listening to the same old faces every week, we think. But also, we want to be a church that sees people raised up, growing. We want to be a body, a family that is speaking into each other's life together and corporately. And we're so blessed to have some amazingly talented and gifted people in our church who we believe should be raised up, given opportunities to use and grow in their gifting. So today we have Craig and Phil um, who are going to tag preach on this great passage that's just been read to you. And just to give you a very brief little bit of an introduction to them, Craig has at one point in his life served at Her Majesty's pleasure, has has an extraordinary testimony of coming to faith and leading many members of his family to faith. Going to be really blessed by what he has to share. He's now on the staff team at Westminster Chapel. Phil has been involved in leading different ministries in the church. Most recently, he's led Lights Ministry, um, like an outreach ministry, as well as a life group. And he has actually had his own battle with cancer that he's overcome. So they're going to do it in two parts. There'll be a song between, but it'd be wonderful if you could each time give them real encouragement as they come up to speak to us. So let's welcome up Craig to come and preach. Woo, 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 woo. As you know, my name is Craig, and I'm the community engagement lead here at Westminster Chapel. And we are in a series called Amazing Love, and we're in part 12 at the moment. And my job today is to take us through John chapter 6, verses 19, 16 to 19. And then Phil will come up after our response song 
and take us through the rest of our passage. I just want to take a moment before we dive into the text, just to be honest with you, a bit vulnerable. I want to share with you something that has happened to myself and to my family this year that has been really hard and really painful. In May, my nan went to hospital with fungal pneumonia. She'd been battling cancer as well for the last 10 years. And I spent three days in the hospital room with her, watching her life ebb away by sickness and disease, consumed by this disease of cancer. And I was there as she passed away and went to be with Jesus. And in that moment, I felt like I was in the eye of a storm of grief and of pain. How did I feel? I felt like God was not there. I felt his absence. You see, the whole situation just felt so human. But I was reminded of Jesus when he had his own experience in a storm of crucifixion and he cried out these words on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I wonder if you've ever felt that way. Do you ever get a sense of the absence of God? Have you experienced something in your life that has caused you to think, where is God? That he is far from you, that he doesn't see you, that he doesn't care, or even perhaps that he doesn't exist. Has anybody been there? Maybe, like me, you're going through a storm of grief, or perhaps your storm is different. There will be people in this room who feel battered by storms of anxiety and depression. Others who feel crushed by storms of financial debt. Some who are going through a storm of divorce. Some who are suffering in storms of sickness, addiction, and ill health. The storms of life come to us all, Christian or not. So is it true? Do the storms of life mean that God has left you? Do they cancel out his existence? Do they crush the reality of his care and compassion? Where can we look to for an answer this morning? To whom shall we go? I know no better place than Jesus Christ himself. And in this passage, we will see what Jesus wants us to know about himself as we enter in and journey through the storms of life. And for safety in your storm, there are three S's that you need to know. Sovereignty, supplication, and supremacy. The first thing that Jesus would have us to know is that storms are not accidental, but providential. This episode of Jesus walking on the water is also recorded in other first century historical accounts written by two of Jesus' close followers, Matthew and Mark, both of which helpfully give us further insight 
into what is happening here in John chapter 6. In Mark 6, 45, we read this. Immediately, Jesus politely requested that his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Jesus politely requested. Doesn't say that, does it? What does Mark say Jesus did? Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Do you see that? Jesus sent his disciples into the storm. Jesus had a divine design in the dispatching of the disciples into the storm. Jesus is in complete control. He knows exactly what he's doing. He never makes a mistake. Do you think that Jesus didn't know that he was sending the disciples into a storm? You see, this is the same Jesus who saw the disciples from four miles away straining at the oars in foggy conditions. This is the same Jesus who supernaturally saw Nathaniel under the fig tree before he met him face to face. Jesus is God in the flesh, the all-seeing one, the all-knowing one. He never misses a trick. Raise your hand if you enjoy being freezing cold, soaking wet, hatless. I'm hatless today, but I'm not usually hatless, by the way. Holding on to your umbrella for dear life, maybe a bit like Mary Poppins going up into the air. Storms can be horrible, but they are unavoidable. Nevertheless, storms are not meaningless, but necessary and purposeful. I'm no scientist. I don't know if anybody is here. But I do know that without thunder and lightning, the electrical balance between the atmosphere and the earth would be disordered. I can see Ian Davis looking at me. <laughs> Who knows what might happen then? So we see that storms are necessary. Similarly, your suffering in the storms of life is not without meaning. God has a purpose for your trials, tribulations, and distress. Because Jesus Christ is sovereign over the storms of our lives, there is not one crash of a wave, not one blow of the wind, not one drop of the rain, not one clap of the thunder that is outside of his control. William Cooper was a Christian man that had suffered for many years with the storms of depression and suicidal thoughts. And in his hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way, he writes, Deep in unsearchable minds of never-failing skill, God treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. And as I look out across the faces of this congregation, I see many storm-tossed saints who have suffered much and who are deeply loved by God. And I cannot answer the question of the why of your storm. But I do know this, that behind those dark, stormy clouds, we have a loving Father who smiles upon his children as he takes our storms 
and he works them out for our good and his glory. Can you see that God has a purpose in your storms? What does Jesus want you to know? He is sovereign over the storm. There is nothing, my friends, absolutely nothing that he will allow into your life that he will not ultimately work out for the good of those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. The second thing that Jesus wants you to know is that in the middle of your storm, he is praying for you. In verse 17 of our passage, John says that after the disciples had got into the boat and set off across the lake, it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. I want you to put yourself into the shoes of the disciples for a moment. It's dark, it's cold, the wind is howling, the wave crashes against your boat, you're straining at the oars, you're not getting very far at all. But where is Jesus? Has he abandoned you? Does he not care? What on earth is he doing? You need help and you need it now. Mark 6 verse 46 tells us exactly where Jesus was. Up on a mountain, praying. You see, Jesus knew what was best for his disciples in the eye of the storm. What the disciples needed most was the supplications of their Savior. What do you think you need most as you journey through the storms of your life? Intoxication, comfort eating, isolation, dopamine fix. Listen, Jesus knows exactly what's needed in the eye of your storm. And he's praying for you. The Scottish pastor, Robert Murray McShane, said this. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million of enemies, yet the distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Jesus, no longer on that mountain. So where is he? He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he always lives to intercede for you. The wind continues to blow. The sea can get rougher and rougher. The darkness can get so dark that it can be felt. That depression, it might not lift. That grief, it may come and it may go. The economy can collapse and the sorrows like sea billows, they can roll. But whatever our lot, he has taught us to say, it is well, it is well with our soul. If we are Christ this morning, we have nothing to fear. Whatever life may bring, Jesus Christ is praying for you. Have you ever wondered what Jesus prays for you about? In John 17, verse 23, we get a window into the prayer life of our Savior. Jesus' prayer is that his people throughout all generations would know this. Father God loves you in the same way that he loves his Son, Jesus Christ. That's what he prays, that we would know his love. That's what this series is all about, amazing love, God's amazing love for you and for me, a love that he has demonstrated at the cross. John cries out elsewhere, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. 
Do you know his love? Do you feel like your storm means that God doesn't love you? Has your prayer life been extinguished because it has not been fueled in the fire of God's love? If you take away one thing from this sermon today, take away this. God loves you with an everlasting, unfailing, undying love. John cries out elsewhere in one of his letters, Oh, what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. Are you a storm-tossed disciple of Jesus Christ this morning? Are you struggling to pray? Are tears the only words that you have? Take heart, God's child. Jesus Christ is praying for you. So far, we have seen that in our storms, Jesus wants us to know that he's sovereign over them and that he prays for us in them. My last point is this. In your storm, Jesus wants you to see his supremacy. In verse 19 of our passage, Jesus' disciples see him approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. Mark's gospel tells us that as Jesus walked on the water, he was about to pass by them. What do you think the significance of this is? Why was he walking on the water? Why was Jesus about to pass by them? Job was a man who had been hit by wave after wave of suffering as he went through his own storm. His wealth had been decimated. His children, they'd all been killed his body was covered with sores from head to toe. His friends, they blamed it all on him. And his wife told him, go curse God and die. But in a moment of God-given clarity, he uttered these words. He moves mountains without their knowing it and overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place and makes its pillars tremble. He speaks to the sun and it does not shine. He seals off the light of the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. In the storms of his life, Job caught a glimpse of the supremacy of God. He saw God as the one who treads on the waves of the sea. God, the all-powerful one, trampling his way triumphantly through the storm. Nothing stopping him. Nothing getting in his way. Nothing thwarting the Lord's purposes. In Scripture, the sea is a symbol of evil, chaos, and death. So can you see what Jesus was doing? as he walked on the water. It's his declaration to his disciples that he is supreme over all that is evil, that he is king over the chaos, that he is a trampler of the grave. I mentioned earlier that I recently lost my nan. And you know what? I've really struggled to see Jesus in this storm. But do you know what gives me comfort and what fills me with a great hope? Do you know what causes me to bow down and to worship? It is this. Jesus Christ is supreme over the waves of the sea. 
Jesus Christ is supreme over death. Through his death and through his resurrection, he has conquered death for all who believe in him. And because he is supreme, I will see her again and she will have a new body, a resurrected one, one that will never experience sin, sickness or suffering again. What about you? What are you seeing about God that causes you to bow down and to worship? Mark 6, 51, it says that when Jesus got into the boat, the winds died down. The storm stopped and the disciples were completely amazed. And in a different storm episode, when Jesus calms the storm by speaking to the wind and the waves, be still, the disciples shout, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Are you asking that question? then I'll tell you who he is. He is Jesus Christ, the sovereign saviour, the rider and the stiller of storms. The winds of your storms might never cease in this life, but because he is supreme, there is coming a day when those winds and those waves will be still forevermore. Are you amazed by the amazing Father, you are amazing. Thank you for your amazing love. Thank you for Jesus Christ, the sovereign savior, the rider, the stiller of storms, the one who is supreme over all evil, the one who has conquered death and trampled on the grave. Thank you, Lord, that he is our great hope. Lord, we look to him today. Give us a glimpse of his supremacy. Give us a glimpse of his glory. Lord, pass by us today and dazzle us with a vision of your mercy, grace, compassion, and love. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Let me pray for us, just as we go into my little section. Father, it's really good to be here with you. I pray that you'd speak to us. Um, for your word and that you would let me not get in the way of what you want to say. (laughs) In your name, Jesus. Amen. Hello, everybody. I am Phil. For those of you who don't know me, uh, I can see lots of people I love, so this is good. This is a good situation. This isn't usual for me. I don't usually stand up here, Uh, but let's do this. Let's see what God wants to say. Um, Craig spoke beautifully. I know Craig and I know his life and everything he's talking about is coming from his heart Um, and it has a weight to it when you know the man who's saying these things as well. So, Craig, legend. Um, So last week, um, uh, I flew in a plane uh, from Scotland and Scotland is always raining um, as uh, most... Billy knows this is true. Um, And um, as we rose up uh, from Inverness, um, we went into thick cloud, and it was grey. And as we rose, it got lighter and lighter and lighter. And I was waiting for that moment. And people who, who, I mean, this is not, probably most of you have gotten in a plane before, maybe not. But if if you have gotten in a plane, you'll know that there's that really cool moment where you burst above the clouds. 
and then you can see all of a sudden. Um, so sure enough, we rose, we rose, it was grey, it was, seemed to be getting darker, and I was thinking, how does this work? Um, and then eventually, we came through the clouds and we could see. That's what today's about, I hope, that we might see. I think today is about vision. Um, so what I want to talk to you, I want to address um, people who have fearful hearts in times of adversity. And I want us to think about how to see. Um, just to add to what Craig has said, I'm going to look at my thing so I don't go on for too long. Um, so there's that, and then um, there's also, uh, the other thing that happened to me last week was a, a good friend of, um, of ours came to visit the house uh, with me and my housemates. And something he said to me, we stood in, in our kitchen and we spoke before work, and something he said to me really struck, struck me and stuck with me. And he was describing his, um, his life over the last couple of years, and we were just sharing with each other. And he said to me that um, he had gone through trials and difficulty in his life that had been so difficult and so hard that it scared him. Um, I think I have some slides as well. I don't know if we, the storm is training. Okay, so it scared him. And maybe that is something that you have experienced. Maybe you're scared of feeling that experience. But I think each one of us is going to be brought into a situation in our life where we are arriving there and we think, whoa, I didn't know this place existed. I didn't know it could get like this. Um, so... Um, the storm as training. Um, let, let, let's move on. If you go to the next slide. So thankfully, as Craig has beautifully illustrated, Jesus and this book is not like sanitized and it's not squeaky clean, but it's raw and it's earthy and it's full of people who are right on the edge. This is the really interesting thing about the life of faith. So I think people think Christians are just goody two-shoes most of the time. This is nonsense. Christians are just people who know they need help. So, so actually what we find in this book is that it's full of people who are right on the edge. David is a really good example of this. David, uh, if you read Psalm 42, it's absolutely gut-wrenching. And he's pouring out his heart to God in prayer. And he says, all your waves and breakers have crashed over me. This is what he says to God. I don't know if this is what your prayer life is like. But David says to God, all your waves and breakers have crashed over my life um, and swept over me. So David is lamenting. And this pattern just goes through the scripture. Think about Jesus, Mary, Jesus' mum, teenage mum, who finds out she's pregnant, terrified. Um, this is God's plan for her life. Think about Jesus himself in the garden saying, uh, literally sweating blood uh, and saying, take this cup from me. So what I'm trying to get across to you is there's something really um, encouraging and uh, in line with our human experience that we see in the scriptures, and that is that there are people living on the edge. And there are people whose lives are in tension all the way through the scripture. So as we experience the tension of life, this is not a, an indication that God has departed from us. Actually, this is the reality of living life and a life of faith. Um, uh, it's actually a little bit like a stringed instrument. 
which like Matt's guitar or whatever, that tension is actually what produces the song. So with our life, the tension of our life is what God is going to use to produce the song of our life, which as we acknowledge that and realize that, it brings something very beautiful to us. Some of you will definitely know what I mean. Some of you might not know what I'm talking about um, because you're still thinking about Matt's guitar. But anyway. <laughs> I want us to talk about three things, like all good sermons. Number one, how he trains. Because I want to talk about training. So how he trains, um, how uh, this little encounter shows us how Jesus trains his disciples. I want to talk about how this little encounter shows us what he trains his disciples for. And I want uh, this, I want us to talk about and look at uh, how we can be people who are trained by God. So how we can have hearts that can be trained by God. So, number one, what, uh, how, uh, number one is, where is number one? How he trains. Number two, what he trains for. And number three, how to be trained. Okay, so our passage. Okay, so I've been given verse... Oh, yeah, okay. This is... Sorry, I'm a bit all over the place, but we'll get there in the end. This is a beautiful painting by a guy called Caspar David Friedrich, I think. And um, I mainly put it there because I love it, but it also, I think, captures something of the feeling of the loneliness of suffering. Um, Proverbs talks about how no one really understands the suffering of your life apart from yourself. And I think this painting kind of captures that feeling. So if that's you today, be encouraged. You're in the right place. We're going to encourage you. And we're going to look at this passage together. Um, Okay, so let's look at this. So verse 20... um, Oh yeah, there we go. That's a, that's a really good quote, actually. The spiritual life cannot be made suburban. It is always a frontier, and we who live in it must accept and even rejoice that it remains untamed. So that's about it not being sanitized. So if we, if we move on to the next slide. Yeah. Okay, there's a cool, another cool painting. So this is a Rembrandt painting which I actually painted in my GCSE. Um, <laughs> Victoria's laughing. Uh, it wasn't that good. That isn't, my, that isn't my version of it. I didn't even know what I was doing. I just kind of liked this painting. And now, I, and now as I've grown up, I'm like, whoa, like, that was quite something that I was like, getting into this painting. Because this is depicting um, the first time Jesus leads his disciples into the storm. So I love that painting. Very beautiful. So we can just leave that there as I introduce our first point. So um, Jesus, uh, let me introduce you to the idea that this storm is training. So um, as I said, this is not the first time that Jesus has sent his disciples into the storm. And as Craig pointed out, he did send them. They didn't just end up there, which is pretty interesting. Um, so... Um, what we find is that there are a few principles that we can learn about how he trains from this. So the first thing is that we notice that Jesus sends his disciples into adversity. So that's the point that Craig made. Um, 
I wonder if any of you have ever noticed that the moment when Jesus is filled with the Spirit, he's then sent into the wilderness. Pretty interesting what's going on in that moment. Well, the Father is not afraid to send his disciples, his son, his children into storms. The second thing we notice from this little encounter is that the place that he sends them is really dark, um, and it has the disciples battling, buffeted by the waves, Matthew says. And the place requires real perseverance. Uh, Another thing we notice from the passage is that Jesus isn't actually there, which is interesting, and again, I think connects to what Craig was saying, this feeling of loneliness. And another thing we notice is that this place that he sent his disciples is adverse enough to be genuinely scary. So that's like my friend who said to me that his life had been so difficult it actually scared him. And then, and this is the key point of how he trains, in that place of adversity, darkness, being buffeted, um, in that place of feeling alone and in such difficulty that it actually is scary, there he meets them. So this is the pattern. And it's so interesting because over the last, um, I would say, number of years, I've met a lot of people who in the last five years have had their life just smashed and taken apart. Um, And that might sound kind of weird, but what I'm getting at is I think God is doing something. And I think what he's doing is he is reducing people's life down to show them what to be hungry for and to show them that he's worth more than anything. He's still doing that. So he, he's still doing this thing of bringing his disciples into adversity and then meeting them there. And there'll be so, I know there's so many of you, and that's your testimony. And he has given you something in adversity that you can't even put into words. But it's beautiful, and it, and it is empowering you and giving you strength. So, um, what else did I want to say to you? What does he say? How does he meet them? This is the really interesting thing. So Howard's already alluded to it. Verse 20 in our passage, what does he say? He says, it is I, don't be afraid. Right up until that moment, we see the disciples are terrified by the sight of Jesus. They see him as this ghost coming across the sea. So they've been sent. They're out in this storm. They see this figure coming towards them. He is a terror on the sea. He is supernatural, he is weird, he is like a ghost. And then something happens and everything changes. His voice is what happens. He speaks and he tells them who he is. And what did it sound like to them? Like, what is it that he, he, well, we know what he said. He said, it is I, don't be afraid. But what did it sound like to him? Well, let me suggest that it sounded like something that would transform you from thinking he was a supernatural ghost that was to be avoided and terrifying to then being like, okay, I need you, get in the boat with me, it's my friend, come on, let's go. I need your help. 
And is that not the experience of everyone who testifies to being saved by Jesus? All of a sudden, God, who seems like this supernatural kind of all-powerful terror on the waves, is your closest friend? It's like, I don't even know how this happened, but I love Jesus. And, you, and it's a mystery. And this is exactly what's happening in this moment there. Jesus is revealing himself. He is saying, it is I, don't be afraid. So we need to know his voice and his voice revealing who he is. So then secondly, what he trains for. So basically what I think Jesus is training his disciples through adversity, through this storm, through the revelation of who he is, is to see differently. So he wants them to see differently and change the way that they look at life. Um, so if we come to our passage, obviously they're in the storm. And purely in the natural, they are struggling, they're in the dark, they're alone, all of the things that we listed. But Jesus wants them to see his glory in such a way that it changes the way that they see their circumstances. And this is the thing that he's doing. He's teaching them faith in place of fear. So this is what he's doing. He's training his disciples, and he's doing that for us, and he's doing it experientially, probably not necessarily through me standing up telling you to have faith in place of fear. He'll be doing it in your life as he brings you through. I'm just like prodding you and prompting you and reminding you about the ways that he's already doing this because Jesus is on the move. It's when the disciples get on the boat and start going out into the storm that he starts talking to them. We need to be moving with him for him to speak to us. It's the same. So, so that's what he says to them. Um, and then, uh, where are we? Yeah, so that's what he's training them for. Uh, and then let us just consider the life of the disciples, the trajectory of their life. So why does he have to keep sending them into storms? Why is he bringing them to crowds of people and saying, look at all these people, how should we feed them? Like, what's he doing? He's trying, like I'm saying, he's trying to change the way that they see, to see with faith, with the eyes of faith. His disciples soon will be sent out across the nations, like the sea, with his gospel. He won't be with them, in bodily form, he'll be with them by his spirit, and they are going to face adversity. But he is training them to walk into that calling to make him known with the knowledge that he is enough, that he is more, that he is powerful, that he makes all the difference. That's what he wants to do, that's what he wants to teach them. And he's still doing that, he's still sending out us, men and women, normal people, He's still sending them out with that revelation that he is worth more than everything and that he is powerful enough to calm the storms of any situation um, and that he is the one who saves. And his voice and his presence in the boat of our life makes all the difference, everything. It's all the difference. And then finally, number three, how to be trained. Because even as I share this, I know, I know that it's difficult to consider the question of training through difficulty. 
Because what we are tempted to think as we think along these lines is, does that mean that every bit of suffering I'm going through in my life and the people around me is simply a test? I don't know, maybe you've already been thinking along these lines, but I want to address that quickly. Um, maybe you feel like what I'm saying is that because he sent his disciples into the storm and then in that storm he began to train them, maybe I'm saying that every difficult thing is just simply just a test. No, that this, is, this is not the point actually. Because um, God is not sitting back wondering whether we're going to pass these tests. We need to know his heart. Um, Hebrews is actually really interesting. I love that painting as well. I don't know who painted that, but there's Jesus. It's actually quite difficult to find good paintings of Jesus of this moment, um, but I think that's quite a good one. So if we go to the next, next slide. That's also Rembrandt, which is a, a, a lovely hand drawing of the moment where he reaches out to um, Peter. If you go to the next one. Okay, so Hebrews can help us. So what I'm talking about is a heart that can be trained by God. So Hebrews says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. What children are not disciplined by their father? So this is an interesting passage. I don't know if you've ever wrestled with this passage before yourself. But what I would say to you is this that uh, discipline, we need to think about this more in the terms of formation. So the point here is not about apportioning blame. So what I mean is this. We are tempted to think if every, difficult we face, if every difficulty we face in our life is a test, that somehow God is not good and not against us. But this passage is telling us that we have to look at it through the lens of sons and daughters. It's the only way any of this is going to make sense. And we have to understand the reason why Jesus trains through adversity is because he is utterly committed to your formation. This is really important, because otherwise it's just really discouraging. Because you're like, God, I'm dying here. This is terrible. Where are you? And then all of a sudden, I'm supposed to be like growing because it's training. You're a son and you're a daughter, you need to understand that, and then you can see what, how, how he wants to form you through difficulty. So, listen to some of these passages. Jude says that God is committed to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Ephesians says that we've been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance and our full restoration. Um, the scripture talks again and again about his commitment, God's commitment to his disciples to fully restore them, to beautify their life. He describes himself as the bridegroom coming back for the bride. And what's really interesting about this passage is it's not the crowd. It's not the crowd who he sends into the, the storm, but it's actually those who have already left everything to follow him. God refines and trains you, not because he is testing whether you are lovely, but because he loves you. Do you see how important it is to understand the difference? So he trains you because he loves you and he is committed to your formation, not to test 
how lovely you are. You are already lovely because you are in Christ. And now he is forming you through training. And that training can at times be brutal, to be honest, like the storm. Okay, so um, actually, Mike, do you want to come up and let me just sort of wind us up? So we can just like steer the ship to land. So I've said quite a few things. I've talked about three things. I've talked about how he trains, how Jesus trains disciples. I've talked about um, what he trains them for. So to be sent out with this revelation that he is all-powerful, that he is enough, that he is more than anything. And I've talked thirdly about the type of heart that can be trained, and that's one who knows that they belong to God, that they're a son and they're a daughter. And I think probably just to finish, it would be, it would be great to pray. I have to say, I had a conversation with Howard a couple of weeks ago. Um, I don't know if you remember this, Howard, but we were sitting in a cafe with Bill Nye. Yeah, yeah, we met Bill Nye. I actually went and spoke to him. And uh, I said, Bill. And then I realized, I literally don't know what to say now. Um, I said, I love what you did in Love Actually. And I was thinking, actually, I don't. I don't really like that film, but it's what came to mind. Um, But we were in this cafe. And uh, one thing I said to Howard is, um, I feel like I need so much encouragement from God. It's kind of like, I, I feel like I'm supposed to get to the point where maybe I'm like beyond that and where I just kind of know who I am and I'm just like, yeah. Um, and it feels, like, oh, it feels like a weakness to me that I need every day. I spend a long time every day, to be honest, just sitting at his feet and just asking him to tell me who I am in him. And I tell you that because I think I want to give people permission to need to know the encouragement of the Father He wants to do that. So Psalm 2 verse 7, I think, is an important one. He said, I will proclaim, so I'm going to proclaim it now. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. We need to hear that every day to give us the courage to be trained in this way. Do you know what I mean? So what I'm going to do is, if the guys want to start playing something nice and ambient... Um, I'm going to pray and I'm going to lead us in prayer and I want to invite you to close your eyes um, and I want to kind of lead us into um, I mean God is already with us but I want us to just come into his presence and just yeah just come on in just enter his presence so in a way everything I said could have been summed up with Psalm 32 but Psalm 32 says I will teach you and instruct you in the way you should go I will counsel you with my loving eye on you it's a good scripture to memorize for people looking for scripture Psalm 32 we really 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 need his word in us so memorizing scripture is good okay I want to address two groups of people here you've got your eyes closed so it's a safe place we're all friends here some of you in Christ in the storms of life facing hardship 
lost sight of the fact that you're to face it as a son and daughter. And you need to know, again, the Father saying to you, you are my son, you are my daughter, today I have become your father. Because he did not intend you to face these hardships on your own. So come to him. Use this moment now to come to him. See him on the waves, literally with the wave, waves under his feet, taking authority. And begin to read Psalm 2 verse 7 over yourself every day. So that's what it takes. You have permission to need to know that fatherly love again and again each day. And it's going to set you free. And then there's others of you who are in the storms of life. You're being buffeted. And it's actually serious enough to scare you. And you see Jesus and he's on the waves and he's mysterious and he's supernatural. And he seems like a ghost to you. sermon audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.